Welcome to Around the League with your boy Tuan, uh, joined by my co-host, good friend, Nav B, a.k.a. Nav Don't Call Me Baloo, a.k.a. Nav Don't Call Me Batia. Uh, so Nav, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Doing well, man. Recording from the empty doctor's office today. Big UFC matchup tonight. A little bit of news about the cor- coronavirus breaking out within that uh within that tournament but hopefully we can still watch some fights tonight yeah that's uh that's an interesting case it's a it's a right step forward to uh getting sports back for us but what are you uh what are your thoughts are you gonna watch that at all tonight or just probably gonna watch some highlights i'm actually gonna watch it it's uh it's probably the first sporting event that we've had in a couple months now so i figured you know might as well tune in and hopefully going forward from here, we get more leagues opening up and we get to watch more live sports. Yeah, I know, same. Jackie's a big fan, so he, he wants me to watch out with him tonight. Um, Mother's Day is, around, is tomorrow, so you got any plans with the, the rents tomorrow? No, man, unfortunately, um, you know, which is making me pessimistic about where we're sort of at in terms of COVID-19, but... Missed my nephew's birthday yesterday and uh, probably going to have to miss out on Mother's Day, but I'll leave something on their doorstep. Probably ordered them some takeout to their house, but that's about it, man. Man, that's so unfortunate. That really sucks to hear about your your nephew. Luckily for me, I live with my my, uh, my parents right now, so going to try to uh, make some breakfast in bed for my mom and possibly cook some dinner too, so we're going to be enjoying that. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is, you know, hopefully we get through this and we can uh, celebrate the other Mother's Days or birthdays extra, extra hard because it'll be that much more special, you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, what have you been uh, keeping busy with lately? Any, any movies recently or any shows catching up on? Like we were talking about before, still watching The Wire. Um, George and I are actually into that show, The Last Kingdom. They released a full, uh, full season last week, so I've been watching that. Uh, keeping busy. Just keeping busy as much as I can. Man, um, Jackie, Judy, and I were watching um, Gravity yesterday. So we were looking at something, something suspenseful, something, something with a bit of action, and it was like critically acclaimed on Netflix. So we, we watched that. It was boring as hell, man. It, it was with like Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, so I thought, man, that's got that's a great supporting cast, or that's like a great cast. So why not watch that? And yeah, it was pretty boring, man. Have you seen that? No, I haven't, but I uh, definitely won't anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 a big into space movies too. Like I love Interstellar, I love Mar- The Martian, like those those type of uh, movies. And I thought it would be the same thing, but definitely wasn't. And it's being rated really well, so I don't know. Maybe it's just my opinion. It was not not really good at all. It was very boring. Noted. Um, there's a show on Amazon Prime called Zero Zero Zero. Heard it was really good, so I plan on starting that at some point. But yeah, man, there's there's no shortage of things to watch. And like we were talking about earlier, it's a good good opportunity to um, tackle down some shows and movies while while we have time on our hands. I I heard that they're gonna do a golf tournament with. With pretty big celebrities soon. Uh, I know you're a big golf guy. Did you hear about the one with with Tiger, Phil, Tom Brady, and Payne Manning coming up? Oh man, of like course. May 24th. Of course, hosted by Ernie Johnson. And and hey, one of the things I was thinking too sucks that the NBA isn't isn't on right now. But I think I miss inside the NBA on TNT just as much as I miss the NBA itself. But yeah, Ernie Johnson is a host for that golf tournament. And last year it was pretty anticlimactic. I mean, it was entertaining, but you could tell that you had Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods who didn't know each other very well, but you had them like conducting this forced small talk. So it was kind of uh, it was kind of awkward to be honest, but I think throwing that wrinkle in with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning will uh, will make it really entertaining, especially with all the off-season drama surrounded uh, sorry, that Tom Brady is surrounded with over the offseason. I think that uh, it's going to make that tournament really special. And on top of that, you just have hungry fans right now. Um, whether you were a golf fan or not, I think that viewership is going to be super high because people just want to see something. 
Yeah, no, it's a really smart idea, especially for charity and having obviously the two biggest golfers of our generation and then having the two biggest quarterbacks um, in the NFL uh, matching up matching up against each other. Um, definitely something that even a casual fan, I'm going to definitely try to tune into and uh, see what happens with that. Um, and for, you know, there's been a lot of good music being released lately. You know, Drake came out with some new stuff. Uh, a bunch of artists are trying to release a much, a lot more music um, during this uh, quarantine. Do you have any albums or artists that you've been uh, listening to? Yeah, I've been listening to quite a bit right now, um, all over the place in terms of genres. Drake's album was actually really good, to be honest. I wouldn't even call it an album because all those songs were previously released and... He kind of just threw them into a compilation and released it on iTunes, which is smart. But yeah, every song is definitely worth listening to. And one of my favorite parts about that album is the fact that that TikTok song, the 2C slide, is on that album. And the reason I say that is because I think if it's on this compilation, it's not going to be on his his regular album. And yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of that song, so I'm definitely glad that for his upcoming project, which should be coming out soon, that or that song is more than likely not going to be on it. Other than that, um, Tory Lane's album is really good. I've been working out to that as much as I can. And um, there's a couple artists that I like from out east, a couple bands that have put out new projects as well. So there's been no shortage of music. And fortunately, uh, there's been no shortage of entertainment with uh, TV shows and The Last Dance and all that. How about you? Man, I've been starving for some good R&B lately. I'm always on the lookout for for new artists, but I don't know. There's there's this one new uh, up-and-coming artist. His name is Jacquees. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. Yeah, he's uh, signed to Young Thug, actually. Oh, is he? So I recently discovered him. He has a new album out um, called The King of R&B, uh, which is a little funny, but he's, he's pretty good. He has some features on that album. He has Future. He has Tory Lanez on that, too, so... Uh, it's something that I've been listening to, um, but really, I've I've been going back uh, to my old like '90s and 2000s R&B playlists just because I haven't been able to find too much too much heat on uh, Spotify lately. So I'm uh, I'm not I'm that old retro guy that's looking back at the old old school music right now. I think last week Young Thug and Chris Brown put out an album too. So if you're in the mood for R&B, that might be something to check out. Yeah, the, I think it was uh, a few days or a few days ago that they they released that one. Uh, I was listening to that um, yesterday too. It's all right. I, I like Chris Brown a lot. He's kind of the my go-to R&B guy when he releases good music. But um, it was a little too much for me. It's not too bad, but uh, I'll probably give it another listen uh, sometime this week. But let's get into um, our episode for today. Um, we're gonna continue with our predictions onto the second round. Um, we had three matchups from the first round that we that we disagreed on. So we have three out of the four matchups that will be a little different. So how about you give the case for those matchups that you predicted and I'll give a case for mine. Um, I, I have a feeling that we'll have the same four teams in the conference finals. But again, I don't know what you predicted uh, for your matchup. So... Um, We'll have to wait and see. So again, I'm excited to see your uh, case for some of your your matchups. So let's get started on the Eastern Conference side of things, where you had the Milwaukee Bucks uh, facing the Indiana Pacers, and I had the Bucks versus the Heat. So Nav, how about you start with your case for either team and give me your predictions for that series? All right, yeah, so I had Milwaukee versus Indiana in the, semif- in the semifinals. The, seri- the season series was 3-1, and surprisingly, Indiana won a game during the regular season, but Giannis didn't play, and TJ Warren dropped 35. <laughs> so yeah. ultimately, I think the way this series plays out is that there's no match for Giannis, and I think that's going to be the case for Milwaukee for the remainder of the playoffs. Um, you know, I think teams are obviously going to have a hard time game planning for that guy. But if there was a case for Indiana. I mean, they both allowed the same amount of points per game at, a, at 107 points per game. And they have a ton of bodies that they can throw at Giannis. 
in the likes of Turner, Sabonis, and TJ Warren. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think I think Giannis has the ability to wear all those guys down, and he can offset some of that pressure with having guys like Brook Lopez and Chris Middleton uh, beside him. But Indiana also has better guard play, in my opinion. You know, I was looking at it, and you know, I would take Oladipo and, ba- and Brogdon over DiVincenzo, Matthews, and Bledsoe any day of the week. And I honestly think that Milwaukee's Achilles heel for the remainder of the playoffs is going to be how much they rely on, um, I'd say, these second-tier guards. You know, I think Indiana also has going for them is the more games that Oladipo plays, the better he'll probably be. So I feel like he'll take a leap in this series. And originally I had it going as a gentleman's sweep 4-1, but I really like Indiana's bigs. I really like uh, Turner, Sabonis, uh, and Warren. So I honestly think that they have the ability to take it to six games. And yeah, I see this going 4-2 for Milwaukee. What matchup, individual matchup, do you think is going to be the most important for Indiana? Who, do you, who needs to step up uh, for that team, for, for them to even have um, a fighting chance of winning one or even two games um, in that series? Because, again, uh, like you mentioned, Oladipo is still trying to get back into form. Sabonis is coming into his own. And they got Brogdon, Warren, who can really go off for 20, 25, 30 points. A night. So do you have an individual that you think um, is key to that team or is it more of a collective effort from both ends? Uh, that's twofold. So I definitely think it's collective from both ends. But I think that this is a big series for Sabonis. He's had, an op- Sorry, he's had a breakout regular season becoming an all-star. So I think that this series will be a good test for him to prove that, you know, he's at that caliber. And I think Malcolm Brogdon, you know, I think Malcolm Brogdon has a ton of playoff experience under his belt, valuable playoff experience under his belt with Milwaukee. And I think that, you know, playing alongside his former teammate Bledsoe, I think that he's going to have an opportunity to uh, put Indiana in a, in a, at least a competitive position. Yeah, I, I agree with that because even last year um, against the Raptors, we saw that. Bledsoe struggled really, really hard in the playoffs. They, they, they were thinking of not even starting him um, anymore in that series because of how poorly he was playing. And Brogdon was head and shoulders better than he was. So that's definitely a matchup to look forward to or just to look at um, where Indiana has a pretty big advantage, I think. Even though Bledsoe's a all-NBA all type of defender, um, I, I just think that... Um, yeah, that Indiana has a, a matchup, uh, head up on that matchup. Yeah, well, I, I, I believe that, you know, the signing of Bledsoe in the middle of last season and releasing Brogdon, I know he was going to need a lot of money in order to come back, but that was probably one of the biggest, you know, what the Fs that I, that I can think of in the NBA in the last year. Yeah, well, they gave him four years, $80 million. That's a big contract to, to match especially for a second rounder um, and a guy that had a bit of um, history issue or history problems as well, or injury problems, sorry. Um, So gamble on Indiana's part, but I think it's paying off for them. And um, so what are your predictions? Are you saying 4-2 for this series? I'm saying 4-2 for Milwaukee in this series. Nice. Nice. I, if if I had picked Indiana, I legit think Milwaukee beats them for nothing, but that's me. Uh, so for myself, I had Milwaukee versus Miami, and on paper, and looking at the stats throughout the year, it it would look like my Milwaukee uh, could possibly sweep Miami uh, for nothing, or even have a four-one series here. But I think if you look at matchups and how well Miami played. Uh, Milwaukee in the regular season that it's a lot closer than you think so in the regular season Miami beat Milwaukee twice with Giannis and Middleton both playing um, in both games and in one of those games Jimmy wasn't playing so that kind of tells you how big of a impact that Bam and Goran Dragic 
and Duncan Robinson had um, on those type of games. And again, the Miami Heat have Eric Spolstra as um, as their head coach, who again has um, that playoff pedigree, has, has that championship pedigree, and that team is led by Jimmy Butler again. And he's he is he reminds me of a light version of Kawhi, where they're just so solid defensively. Um, they're always going to be um, looking to match up with the best player. And I think if Spostra and his coaching staff is able to put a game plan in um, to to neutralize Giannis, obviously you're not going to be able to contain him. Uh, you, sorry, you're not going to stop him, but you're trying to trying to contain contain him as much as possible and make guys like Middleton and Bledsoe um, beat you. Then I think they have a fighting chance. Um, and again, Milwaukee is playing out of their minds right now. They're very good at home and away. Um, at home, they're 28 and three. Away, they're 29, 25 and nine. Uh, whereas the Heat, they're 14 and 19 away. So, just with Milwaukee having that um, home court advantage, I think it gives them that edge. But I think it's a lot closer than people would think just by the matchups, right? So for me, I think this goes to seven, and that might surprise a little. A uh, few people, but I really think that Jimmy and Bam are playing really well. They match up well against Milwaukee, and this matchup comes down to how well Giannis is able to attack uh, Butler and attack Bam, and how much um, shooting and contribution that Milton, Bledsoe, and uh, Wesley Matthews will contribute. So I think it comes down to the role players. And I do think Milwaukee, just having the experience from the last few years in the playoffs and kind of having their run um, end a little earlier than they expected, I think Boonholzer will put them in the position to succeed and um, squeak out a win um, against the Heat in seven. Wow, that's uh, that's a bold prediction. I mean... I believe that if you're going to say that it's going to game seven, then you're really hopeful that uh, Miami's youth will produce in this series. And I think you need to also think about the playoff experience that Budenholders had with Spurs, uh, Atlanta, and you know now with Milwaukee. That's a really bold prediction. Um, it would be really exciting to watch that matchup, but I personally don't think that Miami's youth will rise to the occasion. So let me uh, stop you right there. So Miami has been dependent on their youth um, throughout the season, and I think they're um, big contributors to the success of Miami so far. But again, they got they have Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder um, to come in, and I think we forget how good Andre Iguodala still could be. And I know he's a little old, plotted on his last leg. But again, he he hit a big shot against the Raptors in the finals last year. And he's still defending the best one. of He's another great, great defender, even at a very old age. And if Kedrick Nunn, Tyler Harrow, and um, Duncan Robinson don't perform well, I think uh, Spolstra will easily throw in Crowder in there and Andre Iguodala there. Not only for their defense, but those guys are good. Th- like those are like Jay Crowder is a pretty good shooter, and Andre D- Iguodala is still a very very good defender. And I think having those uh, flexible guys, those guys that can play different spots and defend different uh, positions and have that playoff pedigree, I think it helps Miami. And I knew you were going to bring up the young guys, and I forgot to to uh, mention that I feel like. Those guys have um, have kind of a really solid bench where they can go and rely on the vets. Even Kelly, Kelly Olynyk can be a matchup uh, problem for for Milwaukee. He's a he's a guy that can stretch the floor and he can run the floor and a really really good playmaker for a big. And they still have Jerry Jones too. So it really depends on um, where Spolstra thinks. Um, Miami has an advantage and where he's going to attack that, uh, attack that, um, attack that group. For sure. I think, I think the big, what if is 
I guess you're just assuming that you're going to get optimal play out of the Rooks and Iguodala, who missed three quarters of a, of a season. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, Miami didn't end off the season on the best note. I guess that's why I didn't have them advancing past Indiana. But I mean, again, that'd be a really fun, uh, fun series to watch. Okay, cool. Well, we'll agree to disagree on both series. But, you know, I respect your, your thoughts on Indiana and your feedback on the Miami series. But uh, I think we both agree that Milwaukee heads into the Eastern Conference Finals, awaiting the winner of our next matchup. All right? So the juicy matchup that we're both here to, to give our biased opinions on, uh, the second seed Toronto Raptors versus the sixth seed Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, and we both have uh, this in our prediction, so we are on the same page for this matchup in this round. Uh, so, Nav, what are your thoughts on this series? Give me your, uh, just give me your uh, thoughts on the matchups and the advantages for both teams and who comes out of this series. This was a pretty interesting season series. Every game was pretty close. They were supposed to play their fourth game at the end of March. But the, seri- the season series was 2-1 Toronto. They're very similar teams. So they both score around 109. Well, Toronto scores 109 points per game. Um, Philadelphia scores 107. And they both allow the same amount of points too. Toronto 107, Philadelphia 106. But I feel like everyone in Toronto has made a leap leap forward compared to last year. So I'm making a case for Toronto right now. Okay. I honestly don't think that Embiid and Simmons have made the necessary leaps uh, to get them past Toronto in this series. I don't think that they're the leaders or that they should be, or I don't think they have the the level of talent that we were sort of expecting them to have um, at this point in the series. Um, we got to remember that they are a six seed, Philadelphia, and... It's not really by fluke. I mean, they have a road record of 10-24, which is atrocious. Um, we also have to remember how important Jimmy Butler was last season, as was Kawhi for us, don't get me wrong. And then lastly, I would, I would say that a huge, a huge factor for Toronto in this series would be Norman Powell. And he had a really strong regular season. I think he's going to be a huge factor for them in the playoffs because – his shot selection is going to be very similar to guys like Patterson, Carroll, and Ross um, that we've seen in the past where they get a ton of open shots. And, you know, unfortunately, they were unable to hit those shots in the playoffs. I think Norman Powell showed that he was very capable of hitting open shots this time around in the regular season. But I think his ability to, uh, to hit those open shots for Toronto in the playoffs will dictate how hard it is for other teams to game plan for Toronto. Um, but yeah, I think, I think everyone in Toronto has just taken a leap forward, especially from their championship experience. Um, so that's my case for Toronto. Tuan, why don't you go ahead and uh, either support or refute that? So I agree with everything you said about Toronto. Um, even with the loss of Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, um, Pascal Siakam is playing really well. Norman Powell is playing really well. I think this is probably the best version of Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet that we've seen. And the 76ers, they did lose Jimmy Butler, but they also got Al Horford, who again hasn't been playing very well with this team just because he doesn't really fit in well with them. Um, He kind of um, doesn't match well with Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons. And... I think that Jimmy Butler uh, loss is a big, big, um, big, big loss for them. So, I again, the 76ers did give the Raptors some some issues because of their size. So, I'm not sure how Lowry and Fred VanVleet will play against a much bigger Ben Simmons and Josh Richardson or Tobias Harris. And you also got to factor in the coaching aspect of it. I know you um, mentioned um, how Brett Brown wasn't the optimal coach for this team in our last podcast and how Nick Nurse has always been able to adjust and um, 
game plan and strategize for for different teams like he did last year, right? So I think that's a big advantage for the Raptors, having Dick Nurse just being the more innovative coach. And Brett Brown hasn't been able to prove too much um, in the playoffs. He flamed out against the Celtics when they probably should have won. Sorry, against the Celtics two years ago when they probably should have uh, met the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. And really, they had a chance last year to to beat a to beat a Raptors team that was kind of hurt, where Kawhi wasn't a hundred percent healthy, and they had the momentum really going into that final shot, where again everyone knows that infamous uh, buzzer beater buzzer beater by Kawhi and. If they had made it to the Eastern Conference uh, last year, Conference Finals last year against Mo- Milwaukee, I think they could have beaten them too. So I think um, for mine, I think the Raptors squeak this one out um, in seven games because I think 76ers are really good at home. They're 29 and two. Even though the Raptors have a really good away record, they're 23 and nine. Um, I just think. The Raptors win all games at home and lose the three games away just because 76ers are terrible away. They have the same record as the Knicks um, or a very uh, similar record to the Knicks um, in regards to their home or the away games. So I think this goes seven with each team winning at home. Yeah, that's a great point about their home record. And yeah, Philly really plays off their crowd, especially Embiid. Like, if you watch him play at home, he really uses that energy from the fans, starts showboating, starts taunting. Um, Yeah, it definitely propels him to play better. And, I mean, I have Toronto, you know, getting by Philly in this series as well. But I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, Philly's front court is super lengthy. And it really poses a problem for Lowry and Van Fleet. It really makes it hard for them to, A, you know, initiate the offense, or B, you know, get things going for themselves. Here's the case for Philly. I mean, they erased Van Fleet out of the, out of the uh, series last year. If you look at his stat line points-wise last year, I mean, I might be off by a bit, but it was like 0, 1, 0, 5, 4, 3. Like, this guy was in single digits every game, if not goose egg. But yeah, I think, you know, the reason Philly gets by Celtics in the first round, as you and I predicted, is because they're just massive. And I think that... Um, regardless of who they play, regardless of how they finished in the regular season, they will, they will be a problem in the playoffs for any team, just based off their size. So seven games, I mean, I definitely, I could see that playing out. But uh, I have, uh, maybe it's the homer in me, but I have Toronto in six. True. And I forgot to mention that Marcus All owns Joel Embiid. Exactly. Um, Very good point. In the first game of, uh, in the first matchup of the year, I'm pretty sure everyone still remembers this, where Joel Embiid scored zero points, um, and Mark just shut him down. Uh, I think it was like 0 for 8 from the field and missed all his free throws, whatever. And in the second game, Embiid was he had 10 points. He was 10, 8, and 6. Again, that's when Mark was playing. Uh, so. Mark's a nightmare matchup for for Embiid. One because he can um, he he can initiate the offense from top of the key, so he takes Embiid away from uh, the paint, so he's not as a defensive um, presence in there. So that again, Siakam, Lowry, Van Vliet can attack the attack the basket, and Marcus All has a you have to respect his three point shot too. So I think that helps a lot. Um, uh, on that end, and again, the Raptors have um, <clears throat> sorry, just that that coaching matchup that I think is very important. So I have it in seven. You have it in six. Yeah, and one thing, Raptors. One, sorry, one thing I want to add too is, and I know I said it earlier. At the end of the day, Embiid and Simmons haven't reached their level in terms of a leadership, or um, I guess their potential. To, yeah, I guess they haven't reached their potential. I think for Philly, it's going to create some off-season drama. I think they're going to have to move one of them, and I, I assume it's going to be uh, Simmons. Yeah, they. I I think if that team ever wants to advance past the second second round, they have to move one of those guys. It's proven that they don't play well uh, 
when both of them are on the court. They actually play really well when the other one isn't on the court. Um, so it really depends on what package Philadelphia is able to get. Um, kind of the risk and the reward for, for both players and see who is the more valuable player. Do you go with the the point guard who's 6'10", who can do everything? Um, or do you go with the elite defender and um, big man in, in Embiid? But he's also has injury um, history. So if you trade away Ben Simmons and you, you're left with an injured Embiid, then you're you're going to try to rebuild for the next ten years again, right? So it's really them weighing their their risk um, and and the reward at the end of the day. But uh, let's wrap this one up. I have them in seven. Raptors in seven. You have Raptors in six. So the next matchup for next week will have Milwaukee versus the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. Cool? All right. Um, Let's head down to the Western Conference matchup um, where we, again, disagreed on on this one. So this matchup, I have the Lakers versus the Utah Jazz, and you have the Lakers versus the OKC Thunder. Um, Nav, give me your thoughts. Give me your opinion on, on this matchup and where it goes. I love it. I think last uh, episode, I think I said, with regards to OKC, I think I said, I love their story like a hundred times in the podcast. (laughs) And I do, it's true. I think, uh, you know, I think that combination of Chris Paul, Alexander and Schroeder, they did damage all regular season. And yeah, like I have them going past Utah because I think Utah had some issues that they had to deal with that they weren't able to uh, overcome by playoff time. But this is a very this is a very lopsided series for me. Although although I do think that there's really strong guard play on OKC's end, I don't think that there's anyone on the Thunder that can really give uh, LeBron James or Anthony Davis a run for their money. I think the Lakers are better offensively, they're better defensively, and they're just much deeper um, as a team. But with that being said, you know, you Chris Paul is great. And I think that, you know, he's going to have a game where he just uh, he sort of imposes his will on the Lakers and sort of motivates the rest of the team to rise to the occasion. I think there's going to be a game where you, he, where you see a big performance from that, that uh, three-headed monster with Chris Paul, Alexander, and Schroeder. So I have this one a gentleman sweep. You know, it could definitely be a sweep, but I think that OKC has a lot of heart and they've demonstrated that throughout the season. So I see a uh, I see a gentleman sweep favorable for the Lakers. Nice, I would agree with that too. If I had OKC in that in that series, I like Chris Paul. He's playing out of his mind right now. I, I would compare his play to um, to Lowry's uh, this season, where they're just they're just willing their team to uh, to wins and just getting buckets when they need to in crunch time. And I think that's, you know, if you don't watch too much OKC games, I think if you follow the Raptors, um, that's kind of the the parallel I see between those two guys, kind of two old, uh, aging point guards for uh, for competitive teams and um, just their will to, to lead and win um, at any cost. And for my end, I have, again, the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Utah Jazz. And the two matchups here we want to look at is LeBron James versus Donovan Mitchell and then Anthony Davis versus Rudy Gobert and this one is looking bleak for Utah um they have a they have a more well-rounded team where again they're not top heavy um but it's just those two matchups are are going to be the deciding factor for for the series, um, LeBron James is just um, a better player in every way than Mitchell. Same with Anthony Davis. As much as Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell have come into their own, they, uh, they're they both just way too young, and this is probably the worst matchup for them. Um, Anthony Davis will, will just make Rudy Gobert um, obsolete out on the perimeter. Um, he's most effective when he's in the paint and de- protecting the paint. Um, you know, proven by his defensive play of the year award and just his um, um, just his defensive performance throughout the few years. But AD is again another defensive player of the year type 
um, uh, defender, and he's gonna he's gonna make Gobert stay on the perimeter, and that's gonna allow LeBron to attack, to play make, to make everything easier on Danny Green, on Avery Bradley, on Kyle Kuzma and C, uh, KCP. So um, I think this one, I think this was on sweep. I think this one's a sweep. Maybe Utah gets a game at home with that uh, with that loud crowd and their their home uh, their home fans. But this one's gonna be tough unless Donovan Mitchell can go for like a 35, 40 point performance, and maybe Boyan Bogdanovich uh, gets hot in one of those games. They could steal one, but I think this is a four zero sweep by the L.A. Lakers. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, you know, in that in that. Uh rationale that you just provided you didn't mention Mike Connolly once and it's unfortunate because they haven't been able to rely on him at all so you know if you had Mike Connolly playing at Memphis level maybe that maybe this would be uh, a little bit more of a competitive series but they haven't been able to rely on him one bit and they also haven't been able to rely on uh, Donovan Mitchell in, in the in terms of consistency either no definitely not he he's been very streaky in the last two playoff series that he's been in in the and again, they've lost in the first round both series, so it's it's a little tough for them. And again, Mike Conley uh, struggling. I think Utah had the vision that Mike Conley could come in and have the same impact that Marcus All had for for the Raptors, where he comes in, he plays his role, he's a leader, and you know just plays his game. But he hasn't been playing well with Utah, and I think. Um, the main factor is that Donovan Mitchell uh, demands the ball in his hands quite a bit. And Mike Conley's always been the floor general and the number one guy to set up his teammates and to um, just to play within the system. But it doesn't look, doesn't look like it's working. And again, it's, it's Quinn Snyder versus Frank Vogel uh, with the supporting cast of Jason Kidd and Lionel Hollins on the uh, on the staff, and I think that's another big matchup issue for for them on the on the coaching end, where Jason Kidd and Lionel Hollins are uh, proven veteran coaches and players uh, that have a lot of years in the in the league. So that's gonna hurt Utah uh, in the series. And yeah, I have I have the sweep, and you have the gentleman sweep for for the Lakers over OKC. So we have the Lakers going into the uh, the Western Conference Finals. Yes, cool? sir. All right, nice. So let's get down and dirty into our next and final matchup. Um, again, we had disagreed on on the on the on the previous matchup. So I have the Los Angeles Clippers versus the Houston Rockets, and you have the Clippers versus the Nuggets. So Nav, go for it. This regular season series was a split. Um, Denver won a game. Clippers won a game. And before I dig in, like, I honestly think that Denver would be capable of making this series competitive. They have a much better front court, in my opinion, with Millsap and Jokic. Um, and I expect them to do their thing against Harrell and Zubac. But I can't get past the inconsistent play of Denver's guards. And I don't think they have the ability to turn the Jets on. And I want to go on a little bit of a rant here because I think that too many times as fans, um, we're hopeful that teams and players have the ability to just, you know, turn on the Jets and turn things around. But I honestly believe that, you know, the regular season is where habits are made. And Denver has shown to be completely inconsistent from a guards or a front court perspective the entire season. So I don't think that they just have the ability to miraculously turn things around and start getting hot, um, especially when you're being guarded by Beverly, PG, and Kawhi, who game after game throughout the regular season, with respect to you know load management on Kawhi's end, they've just been uh, obliterating front courts all season, and I think that uh, Denver's going to have a really a really hard time given their youth and inconsistency from Jamal Murray and Will Barton. Um, if this series were to happen, maybe in the mile high with the altitude, Denver can get a game because you got, you know, Jokic doing his thing and maybe, you know, Murray does get hot. But 
you know, I don't see it happening. So I think the Clippers just have a stingy defense with PG, Kawhi, and Beverly, and just an offensive juggernaut with PG and Kawhi that I expect them to uh, do their thing and take care of this, take care of this series in 4-1. Not to mention, Jokic is a slower center, and that Lou Williams pick and roll with Montrezl Harrell can be killer as well. Again, it would take a it would take a really streaky game by Denver in Denver. At the end of the day, I see the Clippers going four one. Four one, eh? De- Denver is a weird team, man. Like last year, they beat the Spurs in seven, and they lost to the Trailblazers in seven. Where the, I think they, I feel like they should have won that series, and they would have given the Warriors a better matchup. Uh, unfortunately for them, they didn't get that far. So I think they lose a little bit of that playoff experience that they would have gotten that could have benefited them in the series going up against, you know, they would have been going up against the Golden State Warriors last year and it probably would have been pre- prepared them for uh, a much um, uh, better battle against the Clippers this time around. Um, I agree with you. I think they may win one or two games just if Jokic can get hot and facilitate for for those guards and if Murray or Barn. Um, are able to drop 25-30 um, together um, in a game. They could they could steal a game uh, a game in uh, in Denver. But I agree with you on the on that matchup. Um, for my end, I think this is a little more intriguing than in, than that series, just because Houston has a bit more star power. Again, they have James Harden. Um, Russell Westbrook is playing out of his goddamn mind, and. I think Robert Covington is the X factor in the series for uh, for Houston. Uh, you know they basically replaced him uh, with or uh, replaced Clint Capella with Robert Covington, making him the the default whatever um, defense or uh, center stopper. Um, and if Eric Gordon can get going and back into um, his old form, I know he's been hurt and hasn't been playing really well, but Houston is super streaky. Um, again, they ha- they're they're doubling down on that small ball uh, type of play, and D'Antoni is the perfect coach to just say, "Hey, man, we need to score 130 points to beat this team," uh, and that's probably gonna be a little tough, just because the the Clippers have probably the best uh, perimeter defenders on one single team that I've seen in a really long time, having Pat Beverly. Um, go at it with Russell Westbrook. That would be a really um, entertaining matchup. I think Russell, uh, Westbrook's going to take that to heart and play out of his mind. Um, Harden's always struggled a little bit uh, in the playoffs because the tempo slows down a little bit. Uh, he's not going to get those 16 uh, foul calls that he does in the regular season. Um, and he's going up against probably two out of the top three um Perimeter defenders in Leonard and George. Um, but again, it really all depends on how well Houston uh, is able to shoot, how well Westbrook and James Harden are able to um, get open looks for P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, Austin Rivers, and uh, some of their shooters. And I have this going 4-2 for the Clippers. Um, just too much... Too much on the defensive side, regardless of who they have on offense. They just are going to suffocate um, the Houston Rockets on the defensive side. And um, yeah, I think Doc Rivers has proven that he's going to he's able to um, take a very talented team uh, to 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 the title. So I I believe in his track record, and really I believe in Kawhi Leonard. Um, I saw it firsthand. We both. We both saw at firsthand last year how this guy will lock down the best player on the other team and give you 35, 40 every night. And now he has Paul George as his Robin, and Paul George will be able to, um, again, just lock up anyone defensively and drop 25, 30 points. So, man, the Clippers are a really scary team. Uh, I'm I'm excited to hear how you... Uh, um, go and give the case for next next week's matchups. But I think we both have Clippers here. I have Clippers in six, 
and you have uh, Clippers in five. Is that correct? Yeah, the Houston the Houston series is tough uh, because there's such a small sample size with regards to their small ball. We haven't seen enough of it. All we've seen and all we know in terms of evidence is that Harden is susceptible to meltdown in the playoffs, and so is Westbrook. Clippers, Clippers, uh, they're a really exciting team. Scary team, for sure. Scary, scary team. I I really like the Clippers, man. I just think that <laughs> how the hell they got those two guys uh, with a re- like a decent bench. Like Lou Will will give you 20 if any of those guys aren't scoring. And Chamet is, again, a young player. But he's going to be uh, instrumental to them because he's going to be able to space the floor. Um, and they they got Marcus Morris too, so he's gonna be able to space the floor for those guys to uh, to attack the rim and create. And yeah, I really like the Clippers, and um, I think they're gonna go pretty far. So in the Eastern Conference, we have for next week the Raptors versus the Milwaukee Bucks, a rematch of last year's uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and now we have the Battle of LA. Rounding out the Western Conference Finals. Um, very two matchups that are going to be very exciting. And next week we'll go into those two matchups. And then we'll also go into the finals um, to uh, to finish off uh, the series. And again, I'm excited to to see where you uh, where you land on some of those. And kind of the, the stats and the, the facts that you can uh, help with supporting some of those arguments. So I'm looking forward to that, Nav. Love it. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, did you hear about um, the the press press conference or the meeting that um, Adam Silver and the NBA PA had yesterday? Did you hear about that? Very very vaguely. Um, from what I gathered, what I saw on Bleacher Report and whatnot was um, they do have a sort of preliminary uh, guideline for how they want. Uh, the NBA to resume should they should they get back into action? Yeah, so they were basically saying that they may take another month to make the decision. Um, the decision to resume or cancel the league is still up in the air, but they've gone enough testing. So they have 15,000 coronavirus tests available now. And if they're able to get all the players into a isolated site, a central site, uh, I think they were saying Orlando or or Vegas as the two spots there. So, really, I I wanted to bring that up because I want to know what your thoughts and optimism are is on the on the on the league resuming this year, uh, continuing with this season, and uh, if you think it will uh, continue or if they're going to cancel it. Yeah, so I guess uh, they have a protocol for if a they were discussing a protocol if a player tests positive. Basically, they would do daily tests. There would be no stoppage in play if a player did test positive with coronavirus. Uh, they would isolate that. Uh, they would isolate that player in quarantine, and they would take a possible two-day league break, lead-wide break. So it seems like they're, you know, they're thinking forward because it seems as though, you know, down south, a lot of states are starting to open up. Uh, some are continuing to lock down, and I guess that's where. My pessimism lies. You know, if you ask me if I'm optimistic or pessimistic, I think it ebbs and flows. But I think the reason why I'm pessimistic is because there's no continuity within uh, individual states. You know, it seems as though individual states are doing individual things. And therefore, um, my outlook towards uh, whether or not there's going to be a season is kind of uh, is kind of hazy. The other thing, you know, again, ask me tomorrow and I might be a lot more optimistic, but... You know, the, at the end, at the end of the day, the NBA—it's a business. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of businesses right now affected by coronavirus as well. I understand their urgency for wanting to resume the season, but at the end of the day, if we're not ready, we're not ready. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I'm. Yeah, I just heard that news yesterday, so I was a bit optimistic. But again, you gotta keep um, the expectations in check. Don't get too uh, high or low on things, but. You know, hopefully it does and it works out and uh, no one gets affected, um, you know, and test positive when they're playing. So if it does happen, you know, we just hope that all the all the players and the coaches 
uh, remain safe and that nothing out of the um, extraordinary happens there. Yeah, I mean, the NBA is such a public league. And, you know, they just laid out the criteria for what things would look like if a player were to get coronavirus. But, you know, it's one thing to have a plan, but imagine it actually does happen. And imagine it actually happens to a superstar uh, yeah. with, with the way social media is. And I, I don't think it would go well. You know, I think that it would open up a whole new can of worms if if the wrong player were to test positive for coronavirus. But hey, I'm, I'm feeling pessimistic today. Missed my nephew's birthday. Going to miss Mother's Day tomorrow. It's snowing outside. True. Um, ask me on a sunny day and my uh, my view might be different. True, true. Yeah, sorry about that again. That sucks. <laughs> Such is life though, man. You're here with me, dog. We're, we're having a good time. Hey, we're having a you great know? time. You know, trying to be productive on, on the Saturday. And yeah, again, man, it's snowing. Like, what the what the hell is going on here? It's it's the middle of May. I know we're in Canada. I know we're in Ontario. But come on, man. This And it, it's been snowing, like, you know, here and there the last, like, two weeks. It's like blizzard, too. It's like minus It's like minus something right now. It's kind of, it's nuts. And I'm talking to people uh, back out on the west in Portland and Vancouver. And like, yeah, man, we're going to the beach today. It's like 20 degrees and we're chilling by the beach. Uh, trying to have like a picnic with their significant others. So, I mean, I'm jealous. I'm envious of, of, uh, of all of that. Question for you regarding Portland. Um, I read that they were doing drive-through strip clubs where you could drive through, get a meal, and watch a show. Why? Like, what? And it seems as though Portland's like the only state imposing this. Um, was there is there a big strip club scene in Portland or something that I'm not aware of that you might have witnessed when you were living there? Why do you think I went out there, man? <laughs> it wasn't for business. Come on. Uh, fun fact: Portland does have the most strip clubs per capita. Thanks, thanks, Dayon for for that uh, tidbit, oh, and I confirm true. that. I remember he was. I, I confirm that. that, and I can confirm that there are a lot of strip clubs in Portland. None that I visited. I just saw them as I was walking, you know, exploring the city. Um, but yeah, they man, they were even when I was there, um, when like Corona was uh, was first uh, being taken seriously, they had um, girls uh, deliver food in their like lingerie and in their like work outfits um, to to dudes that you know were missing that aspect of the life. Uh, so yeah, it was on the news and everything. It was on like all the social media. It was like a big thing in Portland, and everyone was joking around uh, during like work meetings. Like, yeah, man, we should should get someone to come in and uh, deliver food to you in their in their work attire. Guess that's why they say keep Portland weird, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, great episode. I like all the predictions. Uh, I like that we're on the same page. So. We'll, uh, we'll regroup next week and um, see who the eventual champion, sh- uh, champion will be for the 2019 and 2020 season. Love it, man. Cool. All right. You take care. All right. Yeah. Peace, dog. Bye. <laughs>